If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to our sermon text with me. Uh, that is Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 18 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can reach down and grab the Pew Bible. It's number, uh, page number 916. Page 916. We're in a series over several weeks on these verses at the end of Galatians 5. And each week we're going to read what we did last week and we're going to add what we're going to do this week. And we're going to keep adding until the end of the series. We're going to, have, we're going to read the whole passage as a whole. Uh, so today I'm reading starting in verse 13, but verse 18 is the subject of the sermon. Verse 18. Let's begin reading. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God endures forever. Amen? Have you ever had a, a time in your life where you were being trained to do something or taught to do a certain thing and you quickly realized you needed more than training? Ever had those moments? We all, we all get them, right? I remember as a high schooler, I loved basketball and played for, for a while for the Mulberry basketball team up at the high school. And we had good coaches that they, they taught well and colorfully at times, but they taught well. And um, they taught me all kinds of skills on the court. I, and I think I got better. I, I learned how to dribble better. I learned how to shoot better, free throws, all kinds of angles of layups. I learned plays to run and what they were called. I learned defensive moves, all kinds of things. But there was one thing that they could never train me to do. Guess what it was? Be taller. <laughs> yep. It's so the one thing I wanted and one thing they couldn't train me to do. Uh, you see, I couldn't dunk the basketball, and that disappointed me. Uh, but there was a simple reason why I couldn't dunk it, and this is the simple reason. The basketball goal hangs 10 feet above the ground, and the tippy top of my head stands 5 feet 9 above the ground. And so unless I have, like, freakish jumping ability, I can't dunk, right? And I don't have freakish jumping ability. And so no matter how much the coach would say, run this drill, dunk the basketball, dunk the basketball, jump higher, jump higher, even if he added colorful language, it wouldn't help me one bit to do it. You've experienced that in some place of your life too. Well, if you have, you understand what Paul is describing in verse 18. We want to unfold one verse this morning. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What he's getting across there is this. The Holy Spirit is sent into our lives not merely to be a trainer. He's not just a trainer. He's not just a coach who is yelling at you orders and just saying it louder and louder until you do it because he knows no matter how loud he says it, there's not enough in us to fully meet, meet up to God's standard, right? 
And so instead of just being a trainer, the Holy Spirit comes in and actually makes us new people. Christianity is not just, hey, you're nice. Don't you want to be nicer? Here's how to be nicer, 10 steps. Christianity is, hey, don't you want to be new? Don't you want to be new as God intended you to be? Well, if that's the case, here's my son, here's my Holy Spirit. That will get it done. Look at your bulletin today, and I want to show you this by addressing three things that Paul affirms in this one verse. Three things he affirms. First of all, he affirms that there is a problem with being under the law. Second, he affirms that there is a condition that can be met to lead to a solution. And then lastly, he affirms there is a result that happens when that condition is met. So there's a problem, there's a condition, and there's a result. Now, it's one verse, and so I told last service, that doesn't mean it's a shorter sermon. So I just want to prepare your heart for that. Um, it might be a little shorter, but, but there's a lot to say out of this one verse. And it's, it's very, I think, relevant to what we every day live. So first of all, let's look at the problem. Paul is clearly trying to show us, and he doesn't say it in so many words, but he implies it very strongly. Being under the law is not good. It's a problem. In fact, look at the first word of verse 18. Look down at your Bible. What's the first word? But. And I'm not going to give you too many grammar lessons today, but I have to, I have to dip into my English teacher side a little bit, okay? The word but is a conjunction that is negative, which means when you use the word but, what are you saying? A contrast. You're saying, I'm about to say something that is different than what I just said, or I'm about to say something at least that's different than what you think I just said. I'm going to correct something that you've maybe misunderstood. And I think that second one is what Paul's trying to do with that but. He's just said something true, and we learned about it last week, that when the Spirit comes in, verse 17, he starts a fight. He picks a fight with our sinful nature. He draws lines and he makes a battle. The flesh is against the spirit. The spirit is against the flesh. These are opposed so that you cannot do everything you want to do. He is starting a battle within. But there's a tendency, and I think Paul knew this, and the Holy Spirit knows this. There's a tendency in us to hear something like that and think, okay, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about that cartoon where the guy has a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. Have you seen those? And I'm caught between, and here's the devil, my flesh, and here's the angel, the spirit, and they're both barking in the ear. And my job is to try to tap down into the good you know, angel in me and fight the devil in me. And it all seems so painfully difficult and so painfully impossible to be caught between a devil and an angel in every single thing that you do. And so Paul uses this word, but... To emphasize that is not what he intended to communicate by the Spirit's battle within you. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, it's not just a battle, it's freedom. You are not, that's another negative word, you're not under the law. Being under the law, as Paul means it, is a bad thing for everybody. Now, let me tell you this. This is potentially the most misunderstood idea in the whole Bible, what I'm about to tell you. And it's also potentially the most damaging thing to misunderstand as a Christian. So I'm hyping it up so you'll listen. Y'all ready? (laughs) 
What I'm about to say is real important, and people misunderstand it left and right. They always have. Um, it's a struggle constantly with us. When the Bible says you are not under law, it does not mean God's commandments are not good for you. It does not mean that his commandments change, the moral ones at least. It does not mean that you don't need to obey God in order to live his li- the best life that you can live for him. It does not mean that as a Christian you're not going to want to actually obey God. It doesn't mean any of those things. Sometimes we make the false conclusion that not under law means there's nothing in the Bible that's a command that applies to me anymore. And that is a very incorrect understanding. In Paul's mind, not under the law refers to a very specific thing. It refers to us being under the law as if our obedience is what earned our place with God. That's what he means. That's it. Uh, yes, we still are under the commandments of God, no matter what. I mean, Thou shalt not murder is good, is good today just as much as it was 3,500 years ago when Moses first wrote it, right? Hadn't changed. And you still need to obey that commandment just as much as anybody else ever did, whether you're a Christian or not. It's good. Here's the problem. The commands of God, when I understand them right, demand such a high spiritual obedience from me that I persistently fall short of meeting it. So it cannot be the basis of my acceptance with God. It cannot be the basis of my entrance into heaven one day. And it cannot be the basis on which God every day loves me and shows his love for me. It cannot be merit-based. And so Paul has to use the but and the not because he knows that it's part of our native language as human beings to take everything in a merit-based way. Everything we hear, we think of it that way. Now, why do you think that is? That everything we treat as if it were merit-based all the time. Well, because it's the way most things operate, right? It's the way most of the world operates. It's even the way, originally, it operated with Adam and Eve and God. But ever since Adam broke the law, ever since we've been breaking the law, it can't work that way anymore. It must now work only through the grace of God. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. There's a conflict within, but oh, brothers and sisters, this is Paul saying, brothers and sisters, I want you to hear me. There's a conflict within, but you have more than a personal trainer to yell at you. The Spirit is not just here to make it louder and louder and louder and louder until you get it. The Spirit is here to actually release you from the burden of having to earn your way with God so that he can put a new heart in you that is capable of beginning to do the things God calls you to do. Now, that's the gospel. It's different on the one hand than living by works. It's different on the other hand from saying the law doesn't matter at all and I don't need to ever listen to the Bible or obey it. It's a totally different thing. It's a life transformed by the grace of God through the Spirit of God. Do you remember the story Jesus told about a father who had two sons? And one of them, called the prodigal son, gets the inheritance and goes and wastes it, doing whatever he wants to do. And he said to his dad, Dad, give me my inheritance so that I can go far away. I don't want you. I don't want to be with you. I don't want to be in business with you. I don't want to be near you. Just give me my money and let me go. Remember his other son? 
when the, when the prodigal came back and was received by the father, remember his response? Dad, I can't believe you would throw a party for that numbskull. He hates you. And here I am, I've never left your house and I've been your slave. And you haven't given me good things. Now listen, both sons have the same problem. Work it out in your mind. What is that problem? Neither of them love their father. It's just one expressed it by going wild and the other expressed it by going all super rigid and self-righteous. Either way, they both acted as if their father were a personal trainer just yelling at him and they wanted all that they could do to get away from his voice. Christianity offers us something different. A spirit within, the spirit within. You are not alone in the journey of following Jesus if you're a Christian. Sometimes we act that way, don't we? Like it's all up to me and my lonesome. You know, if, it's going, if I'm going to grow, I've, it's just my works and my efforts. This is saying, no, if you're led by the Spirit, it doesn't work by law. It works by grace. That's the first thing. That's the problem that Paul wants to see solved. Now, secondly, what's the condition on which it can be solved? Let's look at, uh, again at verse 18. We're just focusing again on that one verse. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under law. See, if, that's why I'm calling it a condition. It's a conditional statement. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. The, the flip side of that is, if you are not led by the Spirit, guess what? You are still under the law. If you're not led by the Spirit, if you don't have the Spirit within you by faith, you still are under the law, and you're still condemned by it. And God will judge you for it. Until... The Spirit comes in, and by faith you embrace Christ, and then you are led by the Spirit, and you are no longer under the law. That's the condition that must be met. The Spirit must lead us. In other words, when the Spirit comes in, it's not, like we already said, it's not as a personal trainer. Instead, it's as a, it's like he plants seed into the soil of our hearts, new seed. He's fighting, remember, the flesh. He's fighting those ugly things that just tend to bubble up and pop up in our hearts by nature. We're going to see a list of those things next week in verse 19 and 20. There's ugly things that bubble up out of the human heart. In, in opposition to those things, he plants beautiful things. And we'll see those over a few weeks when we get to the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22 and 23. The, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience. The Spirit is planting those things so that in a sense, organically and spiritually, our lives begin to change, not by our own efforts, but by his. That's the reason why he, he uses the phrase he uses here, you are led by the Spirit. You know, he could have just, just as easily have said, if you follow the Spirit, you will be not under the law. But he says you are led. Again, back to English uh, uh, teacher, and I promise this will be the last time. You are led is different than you follow in what way? You are led as passive. You follow as active. He uses the passive verb to show, to emphasize that it is initiated by God. It starts with the Holy Spirit. He leads the way. He starts it. Our role is only to respond to it, you see. 
To be led puts more emphasis on the leader, although it implies that the follower has a role to play, although it is just a cooperative role. Let me go back to the, the farming uh, example. Think about farming. We, we say all the time, you know, that farmer, what does he grow? He grows oranges. And that's a true statement, but if you stop and actually think about it, does the farmer grow oranges? No, not, actually not, really. Um, the, the farmer takes seed that he didn't make. In fact, he can't make. It's not possible for people to imitate and create their own organic life out of nothing. We, we have not figured out how to do that and don't believe we ever will. Only God can. So he takes God's seeds, which have within it this beautiful potential. Within that one little seed is all the oranges that will ever come from it. It's amazing. He takes it. He plants it in the soil. Yes, he's smart, so he knows how to set up the rows and set up the irrigation. He knows how to do all that stuff. But any work that he does is merely cooperation with what the earth already does by God's power. So at the end of the day, really, it's not him growing the oranges. It's him assisting God to grow the oranges, cooperating with God. And that's spiritual life. That's the Christian life. It's the Holy Spirit planting within what is spiritually organic, what we cannot fake, what we cannot even produce of our own, the fruit of the Spirit. And yet our calling is like a good farmer of our soul, a farmer of your heart, a tender of the soil, to do everything that he's called you to do to, for example, stir up what God puts in you. That's one phrase the Bible uses, to add to your faith knowledge and virtue, etc. in First Peter, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Those are the phrases the Bible uses to describe how we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, although at the end of the day, it's all and only the Holy Spirit who does it. He makes you new. This is why this is the, the condition, the only condition that must be met in order for you to be able to say, I am not under the law. In order for a person to be able to say, God will hold none of my sins against me, that person also has to have the Holy Spirit and the faith that the Holy Spirit produces and the love and all the rest that he produces, right? That's what Paul is saying. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Something new has happened. A new way of obeying God has brought to your life. Again, it's not that we don't care about God's commandments. It's not that we even care less about them. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, if you don't care more about the commandments than the Pharisees, you're not my disciple. In other words, Jesus says, my people care more about God's law, not less. It's just they care differently. They care not because they're the older brother. I'm slaving for you, God, so you'll give me what I want. And they care not because, oh, well, I can't please you, so I'm just going to go waste it all on pleasure. No, they they love God. They want to obey God's law because they actually love God. (laughs) They actually want to be with God, and they actually want to please the God who loves them. You see? And it's the spirit that cultivates that. And it's our role and only our role to cooperate, to be led, to keep in step, to walk by.
the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important because sometimes, and all of us have this, and I, I want, you know, maybe you need to hear this. Maybe somebody needs to hear this this morning. Every Christian has moments where they think, I'm a failure as a Christian, or it's not working. Uh, I'm putting in this effort, and, and I'm doing the things I think God's telling me to do. I'm reading the Bible, I'm praying, I'm coming to church, but man, it's just it's dry, it's dusty, it's crusty. And, uh. and the first thing people tend to do is, is the thing they shouldn't do in those situations. The first thing that I tend to do and that we tend to do is we say, okay, well, it must mean I've got to go seeking for something bigger and better. Well, this is not working, so obviously I need something different. So I'm going to go chase some big bang kind of experience spiritually, something that's you know, out of this world, you know, visions and dreams and all this kind of stuff. I'm going to go chase those extraordinary things because the ordinary just obviously isn't working. You know why that's a mistake? Because God, in moments when we feel dry and failures, here's what God wants. He wants us to fall on our face Beg the presence and work of his Holy Spirit. He doesn't want us to give up on the way that he's laid out for us. He doesn't want us to say, well, it's not working for me, so it must not be real. No, he wants us to say, rather, oh, Lord, I read in your word how if your Holy Spirit shows up, change happens. Well, Lord, don't leave me out. Don't pass me by. Give to me that Holy Spirit. I, I don't need to go, go chasing really crazy, out-of-the-ordinary things. I mean, they may happen. God can do whatever he wants to do. But I'm saying you don't need to go chasing those things. You've got, you've got the ordinary way that God works in our lives. Here's what you need to add to it, a desperation for the Holy Spirit that he might plant, that he might cause things to grow. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians about his ministry, which is ministry is just like farming in this way. Paul says, I plant, somebody else waters, but God makes things grow. I plant, somebody else waters, God makes it. I don't make anything grow. And you don't either. And so we need to ask God, God, give me your Holy Spirit. That's the condition. Now, lastly, third thing, let's look at the result this morning. And it's a beautiful result. We've been dancing around it, but I want to take it head on. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law anymore. <laughs> the result of being led by the Spirit is you actually are not, in fact, whether you feel like it or not, you are not anymore under the law. You're not condemned by it. You're not under its curse. You're not doomed to hell. You're not, your life is not dead end where you can never change. You, can, you, know, you don't have to think of your life as I can never exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. I just can't do it. No, you can because you are not under law. It's not based on your works. You are now a recipient of His work and His grace. Look with me if you'll turn back one page in your Bible, back to Galatians 4. You'll see what I'm talking about. Paul says in Galatians 4, starting in verse 4, that there's a two-stage method that God saves a human being. Two stages he uses to save any human being. He says first, when the fullness of time has come, he sent forth his son. That's the first stage. He sent his son. 
We're familiar with that. Uh, He was born of a woman, Mary. He was born, there it is, under the law. Jesus became under the law. He he, he entered into a merit-based relationship with the Father, but guess what? He he did it. He merited it it for us. (laughs) He was under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, what does it say? Adoption as sons. Whoa. Second stage. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God sent his son to redeem. God sent his spirit to cause us to cry. Now that's powerful. The spirit is actually able to change a heart from being one that doesn't want God to one that does, just like a little child wants their parent. Abba, Father. The Spirit is able to change your desires and your dispositions. And the result of that is verse 7 of chapter 4. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Powerful. Now, slavery is a terrible thing. I think we would all agree with that. It's it's been in the world since the fall. It's terrible. It still exists in parts of the world today. It's hard for us to imagine what it is like or would be like to be a slave. Hard to imagine. But many of Paul's original hearers didn't have a tough time imagining because it's a fact that a high percentage of the first Christians were slaves in the Roman Empire. They were slaves. He was talking to slaves in in a physical sense. And he was saying, even though you're slaves outwardly, you are not anymore spiritually slaves. And they would understand what that was like. They understood what we would call a slave mentality because it had been ingrained in them where they didn't, you know, they'd made decisions in a different way. They looked at life in a different way. They saw people in a different way because of this condition of slavery. It colored everything they did. Now imagine that slave, if all of a sudden one day they declared him free or her free. Do you think right away they would start thinking like a son or a free person and not like a slave? Would it be like, boom, bippity-boppity-boo? Would it be like that? I don't think think so. I mean, again, it's hard for us to imagine because we've never been there, but I can imagine at least this. If it's that ingrained over time, it's going to be really, it's going to have a hard process of coming from that slave mindset to a son or a free person mindset. And there you have it, the Christian life and the Spirit's ministry. He's taking former slaves spiritually, and he's teaching us how to be free men and women. He's teaching us how to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. He's teaching us how to approach God not like we have to because, well, he's God and he'll send me to hell if I don't. He's teaching us to approach God with, Abba, Father. Oh, how I love your law. Not because I can earn heaven by your law, God, because I know I can't. I love your law because your law smells like you. It reminds me of you. I see your smile behind the Ten Commandments, and it makes my heart sing. It didn't before. It used to make my heart 
run and hide, and you know, I hated it. I hated it, frankly. But now, oh, now, you have set me free. And little bit by little bit, I, I can begin to stop thinking like a slave and start thinking like a son or daughter. Let me leave you with this. I'm reading right now a great little book on the Holy Spirit as I preach. It's been very encouraging to me. It's written by a man you've never heard of who is dead, George Smeaton. Anybody ever heard of this man? Highly doubt it. He lived in Scotland in the 1800s. I don't think we have much other that he wrote except this book, and it is a treasure about the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, this is what he plants in the Christian heart. He says he plants, first, ears to hear the shepherd's voice, eyes to see the king in his beauty, a life animated by the spirit of prayer, and a heart that it's enlarged to run in the way of God's commandments. Wow. Do you see that? That's more than just handing you a manual and saying, here's the 10-step program to becoming a better person. It's also more than him standing back like my coach and just saying it louder. Run! Jump! The Spirit does so much more than that. He gives you eyes that you didn't have before, ears that you didn't have before, a heart you didn't have before, a life you didn't have before to revolutionize your life. What that means, y'all, is, is this. If you find these things in your life, I hope you'll rejoice this morning. If you've got ears to hear the, the Savior, eyes to see the King and His beauty and so forth, I hope you rejoice because guess what? You did not put that in yourself. I tell you, Satan didn't put it in you. No other man or woman put it in you. Guess who that leaves? Like we did guess who last week. Who does that leave? The Holy Spirit. You know what that means? That means you are led by the Spirit. That means you are not under law. That means you're not a slave, you're a son. Isn't that encouraging? At the same time, I'll ask you, if you've been given ears to hear the shepherd's voice, are you listening? It's good to think. If you've been giving eyes to see the king and his beauty, do you think of Jesus and his glory often? If you've been given a life animated by prayer, do you pray? If your heart's been enlarged to love God's commandments, do you really seek to obey with all your heart? Do you, do you, are you putting it, your heart into it? Those are great questions. On the flip side, and I'll say this, and, and I promise you, I never say things like this because I, I delight in making people nervous or afraid. I don't. I really don't. I say these things because I, it's my duty as an ambassador of Scripture. If a person doesn't have ears to hear the Savior's voice or eyes to see the King in His beauty or a, tr or a life animated by the spirit of prayer or if they're not, they don't want to obey God's word as it's found in the Bible, that means you are not a Christian yet. And I have to say this because we live in a place, America, even probably more the South, Mulberry, where so many people think they're Christians and they're not. And it's not me sitting around trying to say, I get to decide who's a Christian and who's not. I don't have that power. All I'm saying is the Word says that if you're not led by the Spirit, you're not a Christian. And if the Spirit is leading you, He has given you, given you new ears, new eyes, new heart, 
new life. Now, how would Jesus instruct a person like that? Say, say you, maybe it's not you. Maybe you're asking for a friend. How would my friend respond if he or she thinks he or she doesn't have the Holy Spirit? Well, here's what Jesus would say. Jesus said, How many of you who are parents, if their kid asked for a loaf of bread to eat, would give him a rock? Would you do that? How many of you as a parent, if they asked for a fish to eat, would give them a snake? Jesus said, of course you wouldn't. And so, here's what he said. This is directly quoting. How much more will my heavenly Father and your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let me be an ambassador for Christ for another minute. In the Bible, the one prayer that we know God says he will never deny, ever, is the prayer of a person asking for God's Holy Spirit to move in and do the work that is being described in this passage. He will never give a no answer. Whether you think you have the Holy Spirit, whether you really do, or whether you're just not sure, I mean, we've all been there. Ask him. And you will not be denied. And then life begins. Then it's life no longer under the law, under grace.